Good afternoon again. Didn't uh, Alex do a great job? Yes. yes. I just want to show some appreciation. Thank you. Really appreciate uh, the young people in the church and uh, their willingness to serve and uh, step outside their comfort zones. It's a, a good example, and it's what it means to be a disciple, isn't it? Let's turn over into Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We finally got through the Beatitudes. It's taken us a few months, but we're going to keep on moving through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount here. And uh, last, what well, we two weeks ago, we talked about blessed are those who are persecuted and uh, for righteousness sake, not just persecuted for, you know, any reason. But it's interesting because like all the Beatitudes, it sort of is backwards. It's not intuitive. You look at them, you look at that and think, blessed are the persecuted. And you think, wow, it's not how it feels to be persecuted. But uh, the truth is, if we take a stand for Jesus, if we do what God wants us to, the lives that we're going to lead are going to be different than the world. For those people that aren't following God, that haven't given their lives to God, uh, there's going to be a difference in why we live, in what we value, in where we focus, where we put our material resources, where we put our energy. As Christians, we will be different. And Jesus really follows up with these Beatitudes with uh, just a few verses, four verses here, verses 13 to 16, that focus in on our Christian witness, on what we need to do, and, and who we need to be for the world. Because God has saved us, and that is great, isn't it? Isn't it great to know your sins are forgiven? How many people would just say, that's a great thing, okay? Yeah, being forgiven is amazing. But now we're here in this world, in this world that is so much trapped in sin, and we've been given a mission. And that is to share that grace with others. And so th these four verses talk about salt and light. And what's interesting is, I don't think you could find much relationship between salt and light. I mean, you'd have to really dig deep uh, in some kind of scientific way to figure out how does light and salt connect? But the point is, in these few verses, they connect simply because Jesus uses them to talk about the same thing. And that is our witness to the world and how that works. I've called this lesson, Affect and Reflect. Salt affects and light reflects. And as we look at this, we can, uh, we can understand what we need to do. So let's just read this together. Matthew 5, verses... 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You know, the first uh, thing that Jesus talks about here is salt. And salt is a substance that affects other things. 
Now, there are some things impervious to salt. If you put salt on some metals, there's no reaction. Actually, on some metals, there is a reaction. But salt, you know, just in some cases makes no effect whatsoever. But if you put salt on your food, anyone use salt in their food? So why do you do that? It's tasty. But, you know, there's something also in your physical body. Your body needs salt. And there's a satisfaction that comes with a little salt. And probably we eat too much salt these days. Uh, I think uh, all dietitians would say that. But salt is good because it adds flavor. Salt's also good because it, it helps meat be preserved. And uh, you can tell that if you ever buy a piece of uh, ham, you know, yeah, uh, gammon. You know, salted gammon, there's a, there's a lot of salt in that. And that's to keep it fresh and uh, good to eat. So salt has an effect, especially on food, when we, when we use it. In, in Canada, we use salt a lot. We use it on the roads in the winter uh, to get rid of the ice. So you know, salt has even another function there. But salt has an effect. And what's light? You know, light is an amazing thing. Light allows us to see. Light allows us to see the world around us. I mean, each one of us is trapped, more or less, in, the, in a body of flesh. And, uh, you know, I'm standing, you're sitting, and, uh, you know, we're, we're in this area. But actually, we can see all these things around us because of light. And because of the eyes that God has given us. And so light allows us to see. Just imagine if it was suddenly dark in here. You would feel differently. You know, you would feel a little insecure if it became pitch black in here. But see, light exposes things. Light shows us things. And so, what Jesus is really saying to his disciples is, you need to be like salt and have an effect. And you need to be like light and expose things. Show things for what they are. This same verse 13 about salt is also repeated by Jesus in Luke 14. I'd like us to turn over there. Luke chapter 14. And we'll, we'll just read this again. Luke 14, verses 34 and 35. Luke 14, verses 34 and 35. It says, Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit for, for the soil, nor for, nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Now, if something's not good for the manure pile, it's pretty useless, you know what I'm saying? And so, he's saying salt, if it loses its saltiness, then what good is it? And I want us to examine the context, because Jesus is finishing a section of teaching here. And he's really t talking about the decision that we make as disciples. What does it mean to follow him? So let's just back up a little here in Luke 14, and we'll pick this up in verse 25. It says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. 
You know, there's a crowd following Jesus, and you have to ask yourself, why? Why were they with him? And there's another time in John 6, Jesus turns to the crowd and he said, Are you following me because you ate the bread? The day before, he'd fed 5,000. And it was a free meal. The only guy that gave something up with this little boy that had a couple of fish and some loaves of bread. And he gave that up, and Jesus multiplied it and fed everyone. Boy, that was, wasn't that awesome? But the next day, a crowd was following Jesus. And Jesus said, why are you following me? Is it because your stomachs got filled yesterday? Herod, when Jesus was uh, being put on trial, Herod wanted to see Jesus. And, and Pilate sent him over to, to see Herod. And it says that Herod wanted to see Jesus, hoping that he would perform a miracle. Now that's another reason the crowds would follow around Jesus. Of course, if you were sick yourself and needed a little help, that'd be a good reason to go see Jesus. But Jesus was asking them a question because they were literally, physically following him, but he really wanted to get down to it and say, Are you following me? Is the way you're living your life in step with the way I live my life? So we can follow sometimes, we can be part of a group, but are we really doing what the group is doing? We can come here and we can sing songs, but does that mean we're worshiping? Because worship is something that takes place in your heart. You know, we can sit here and we can listen to the scriptures, and we can listen to the messages, but are we learning something? Because I can't make you learn anything. And, uh, you know, if you're, in, if you're in, in school or university, you know that's true. In college, the teacher can't make you learn anything. You know, if you're a child, can your, can your parents make you learn something? Well, it's, it's pretty tough. But, but you have to build a relationship. There has to be a desire. There has to be a decision. And so that's what Jesus is getting down to. Why are you following me? Now, you know, most people would just say, Hey, it's great, you're following me. That'll be $10, $10 per person, 10 pounds. Okay, you know, let's, let's really use this situation. But that Jesus wasn't concerned about money. And he certainly wasn't concerned about popularity. What he was really concerned about was the decision to follow him. And concerned about each person and their relationship with God. So Jesus turns, you know, and he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, and of course he could have included friends and acquaintances, could have listed everybody. If you don't hate them, yes, even yourself, your own life, you can't be my disciple. Now, how radical does that sound? I mean, we thought Jesus was all about love. But he's saying, if you don't hate these other relationships, and even yourself in some way, you can't be my disciple. Well, what do we typically put in opposition to hate? Love, right? But interestingly, Jesus doesn't say, hate them, love me. He says, 
They must, you must follow me. He says, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. See, this decision to follow Jesus is a decision to put his will ahead of your own. Now, anyone here ever been in love? Maybe still is? Okay. You know, you know when you're in love... And the person you love just happens to mention there's something they would like. Now, what goes through your mind? Man, man, I gotta get it. Boy, I gotta deliver. I mean, the person I love wants something, and so I want to please them. And so, in fact, if you really love someone, their will becomes your will. And see, if you really love someone, you're going to be making their will a priority in your life. And Jesus, that's really where Jesus is going here. Jesus isn't saying, you need to hate everybody, because he says in other places, you need to love everybody. But what he's talking about is their will for your life, and even your own will for your life. You must hate that and follow me. You know, it's sad, but even sometimes in following Jesus, parents or friends or family members put people on the spot and say, well, if you do that, you don't love me. If you make that decision, you don't love me. And in a certain way, we understand that, don't we? Because typically when someone says they love you, they'll do what you want them to. But see, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we must love Jesus first. You know, I've been married now 25 years. And, uh, you know, we got the silver, now we're going for gold. You know, Lord willing. But you know, what's awesome about it is, God gave me just a little piece of wisdom. He also allowed me to meet Tammy, but he gave me a piece of wisdom, and that was find someone who loves God more than they love you. I just want to give a little piece of advice to those that aren't married out there. You want to, you, you know, we, we get worried about, do they love me? Do they love me? The number one thing you need to worry about is, do they love God? Do they love God? Because if they love God, guess what? You're going to get treated really well. If they really love Jesus, if they really follow Him, your marriage is going to be great. Because when you fail, like I do, and you fall short, guess what? They're going to keep loving you because that's what God has told them to do. Their love isn't conditional on you. Amen. And if you want to perk up your marriage a little bit, married's here today, okay? Just devote yourselves to God first. That changes your marriage. Because as we love God, we will love others in the right way. And it really builds great relationships. So Jesus said this because it's the only way. The only way to follow Jesus is to love Him most. In Matthew, in a parallel scripture, because Jesus probably said this many different ways, it says, whoever doesn't love me more than father, mother, wife, children. But the, the concept's the same. We need to put Him first, and in that sense it means we hate all others. 
Because when it comes down to the choice, then we must follow Jesus. Let's read a little further here. Luke 14, verse 28. It says, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he, if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. You know, do you have any half-finished projects around your house? Am I the only one? I even went so much to even mention them in my notes here, you know. Am I the only one? I mean, Justin's got a tree fort that we've, that's half built. So it's virtually unusable, even though occasionally people climb up into it. But, uh, you know, I wanted to build him a little place where even he could camp out, kind of pretend he's, uh, you know, out in the woods and that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, it's, it's half done. If you were to go upstairs in our house, and many people don't go upstairs, but if you were, you would notice something quite interesting. Uh, there's no flooring. There's wood, but it's, it's uh, pretty old and, and actually pretty bad. And uh, under, uh, on top of it is just simply that paper, cardboard, uh, uh, Mick, what do you call that kind of wood? Paper cardboard. Okay, there you go. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so that's all that's there. And, and I bring these things up. Like, why are these things unfinished? Well, sometimes it's a lack of time. Sometimes it's a lack of money. Ever started, you know, doing something and just didn't have enough to complete it? You know, uh, a lack of interest or a change of priorities. You know, some things we start, to be quite honest, we probably shouldn't have started them in the first place. But some things we're just so excited about, I just can't wait, you know, till we redo this in the house. And then we live for five years, you know, in sight under construction. <laughs> and, you know, people don't walk in and go, wow, what a beautiful sight under construction you have. <laughs> Especially if they, you know, it's that way one year, the next, the next, you know. A question starts to, why did you start this anyway? If you weren't ready to finish. And I know men, we're very grateful for our wives. Uh, they help us finish these kind of projects, don't they? But, but it's, in, it's important to understand, what good is it to build a house if you're not going to finish it? You know, this was a really easy thing to, to make examples of when we lived in Russia. Because the Soviet Russian government had built so many buildings they didn't finish. And they were like all over the city. And uh, there was one right near where we first lived. It was a 16-story building, completely built, but then not finished. Guess what had happened? They built the building, did everything, and then they realized no one, the, the people that were supposed to put the water supply into the building had never done it. And now that everything was there, it was really difficult to dig it up. And rather than dig it up and fix it, they just left it. And it had already been sitting for 10 years by the time we lived there. 16-story building. Roof on it and everything. Walls on it. Just not done. No water. If we're going to build something, you want to build it to the end. Well, how, how does this speak of the Christian life? Well, the Christian life, in a sense, does have two parts. One is the decision... To follow, and then other, the life that follows. And 
they have to go together. You know, it's, it's wonderful to see a baptism. And it's a celebration, and it's a lot like a wedding. It's the beginning of a new relationship, the beginning of something beautiful. But guess what? There's some work that's going to come after to keep that relationship good and strong. And it's the same with being a Christian. There's going to be some tough moments. So tough, the beatitude right in front of this had said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. It's going to happen. There's going to be difficulties. But if we haven't really made a decision, we're not going to make it to the end. Now let's look a little further in verse 31. And just so you don't get worried, I see that we're going to have two sermons. Just going to finish the first point here. Okay. Verse 31, it says, Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. You know, a king's going to go to war. And, you know, sadly, wars are happening all over the place in our world. But if the one power is just so extremely, you know, more powerful than the other, if the one nation's more powerful or one king, then the war's over quickly. And if the nation is smart, they're going to be waving the surrender flag right at the beginning. And so the answer to this question, what does the weaker king say? He just goes, I surrender. I give it up. You know, if you were being held up on the street by a mugger, and he's got a gun and he's pointing it at you, and he says, give me your money, you don't take it out and go, would half of it be okay? That's not going to work, is it? Oh, oh, no, no, I just want like a quarter of it, okay? That's not the way it goes. If he's wanting it all, he's going to take it all. And what this parable is really talking about is, there's going to come a time when we will face an accounting with God. And either we face that accounting having been resistant to Him, or we'll face that accounting having surrendered to Him. Now, how do you want to face God? Surrendered, right? Sweet surrender. You want to come to God having already said to Him, I submit to you. Because if, if, if you wait until you see God, it's too late. There's no way that you can then change your, your destiny with God. So he says, a king's going to go to war... We're like kings, because each one of us has our own little kingdom. And you might be thinking these days with the economic downturn, your kingdom's pretty small, or your kingdom's under pressure. But the truth is, each of us has a kingdom. We have an area of responsibility and authority where we make decisions about our lives. And we make those decisions, we make those plans. And what the scripture is saying here is, we need to commit those plans to God. And in that way, give ourselves up to God. 
In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. You know, someone made up this parable, but it's just, it just fits really well. There was a man that came into the throne room of God. And he'd come in because he knew that God was asking people to be his disciples, to follow him, to give up everything for him. And so the man came into the throne room, and there's a, there's a number of witnesses and other people around. But the man says, I want to be a disciple. I'm willing to give everything up. And, and God says, great, great. Well, let's just you know, talk a little bit about what you have. And so, uh, you know, the man pulls out his wallet. And it kind of, that's the first thing we think of. You know, what do you have? Well, you kind of think of what's in your pocket. The man pulls out his wallet and there's credit cards and there's some money. More credit cards than money, but whatever. There's, you know, there's those things there. And there's even a debit card. And God says, well, I'll take those and, and everything they're attached to. So God takes his wallet and he takes the money. And in the wallet, he also sees a picture of the man's family. And he goes, who are those people? And he goes, well, those are my family. Well, I'll take those too. I'll take those relationships. Those are now mine. So the man's like, wow, that's, that's pretty challenging, but here it is. And then he says, well, that's a nice looking watch you have. Why do you have that? And the man says, well, it's so I can tell time. And uh, God says, well, you might as well give me the watch because your time is now my time. And so he hands the watch over. And uh, the man's got some jewelry on. It's pretty nice. He goes, well, you know, I'll take that jewelry too. And uh, so then the guy's thinking, well, that's about everything. And he kind of goes, that's about everything. And there's this jingle. And God goes, what's that sound? He goes, well, that's my keys. Oh, keys. What are they to? So he pulls out his keys and there's a key to the car and there's a key to the house. And wow, God says, you got a car and a house? Wow, I'll take them. Thank you. That's my house now. Those are my keys. And so he hands over the keys. And, you know, we're building quite a pile of stuff right here. And then um, the guy's pretty much thinking, well, that's about it. And, uh, you know, not to get too graphic, but God says, well, I'll take your clothes. I mean, you're going to give me everything, right? So guy gives up his clothes. He's feeling a little embarrassed. Everyone's looking. And, and God says, well, you know, that's, that's not it. I want your body as well. And so, uh, you know, the man sort of unzips and the body comes off and everything's laying there. And he's just this little fleck of light. You know, use your imaginations, okay? But there it is, his little soul just right there. And God says, well, you know, that soul's mine too, right? You're giving me everything. And, and he's like, yeah. Yeah, he's just this little speck. And so everything's laying in front of God, and there's this little speck flickering there in front of God. And God says, Okay, who do I have, or who would like to take care of all this stuff I just got? And you know, there's some people in the crowd, and the angels and everybody, they're kind of looking, and they're like, Yeah, the body's kind of shabby. And, uh, you know, someone says, What kind of car is it? And, you know, other questions get asked. But at the end, there's actually nobody there putting up their hand. And, of course, the little fleck, who's feeling quite insignificant right there, is trying to get the attention of God. And finally, God, Oh, would you like this stuff? And so the little fleck gets everything back. 
And as he walks out, he looks just the same as as he walked in. But he walked in a king and an owner. And he left a servant and a steward. He left as a manager. See, what it really means to be God's, a disciple of Jesus, it means that He is our Lord and Master. And it means that everything we have is His. And so he went on to say here, and again repeating from Matthew 5.13, Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, God's really making us quite an offer. Because what he's saying is, give up this temporary material life that I've given you, give it up in surrendering it to me, and I will give you eternal life. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. I can see some people are struggling with that. Don't struggle.